All right. Some people, when we started this series, people didn't know that bless your heart can, be some, can mean something bad. Like, but growing up in the South, bless your heart has tons of different meanings. So, so I relate to this. Like, most of the time when I heard bless your heart at school, that means I was in trouble or like I did something wrong. But anyway, we are wrapping up a series here called Bless Your Heart. And uh, we've been talking about the things that kind of set in our heart that kind of throw us off. But I'm preaching to the choir. You, we all get this from life experience. There's things that sets us off balance in life. Anger. We get it. Like we, 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 sometimes we, we don't, maybe we don't see it that we're angry, but we understand that when we are angry, it throws off ourselves. We can't think straight. We can't, we can't talk straight. We say things we end up regretting. And it's toxic. It, it affects people around us, and it gets the best of us. It paralyzes us. We get this. We also get fear. We understand sometimes some of us, like, we don't want to take a move because we're always scared. What's going to happen? Well, what is that? Let me Google that. You know, are we okay? This is okay. And we're always living in fear, and it paralyzes us. We understand that this emotion can get the best of us. We get this. We also get guilt. A lot of us struggle with that in some shape or form. That we're stuck in the past from a past mistake and we can't break through from that and we're just stuck on something we did in the past and it's holding us holding us captive and it and, and that emotion is paralyzing us from moving forward we didn't talk about this but we also understand this we understand lust which is just selfish with either from a, from a sexual context or or not just us worrying about ourselves, which is connected to selfishness when we're just living for ourselves and only thinking of ourselves, this is damaging our, our, our relationships our friendships everyone everyone around us because we cannot get past thinking of ourselves we get all this but what i would love for us to wrap up the series talking about is there are destructive emotions that disguise themselves as virtues there are destructive emotions that disguise themselves as as virtues you would say yeah anger unblesses my heart it sits on my heart and throws me off it's affecting different parts of my life you get that you can say yeah lust is kind of throwing me off you can say you can guilt you can say yeah i, I kind of struggle with guilt we can kind of get that but there are emotions that disguise themselves as being virtues being great but in reality it's unblessing our heart before i give you the word let me give you examples I shouldn't really interfere. Man, that, that financial decision that he's making or him buying that new phone or buying that, that car, like he can't. Like this is not what's best for him. But, you know, I, I don't want to interfere that, you know, that's his life. You know, I'll, you know, I'll let him do him. I don't want to kind of step on his toes. Man, that, that girl for him, <laughs> how can he not see that? But it's none of my business. It's none of my business. You know, I'll let him do his thing. Yeah, we've been boys since for, for years, but, you know, it's none of my business. You know, I'll let him do his thing. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep some, some distance apart. He do, he, he do what's best for him. I do what's best for me. You know, it's none of my business. We say that. And we cover it up thinking, you know, out of respect, out of love, I'll let him do his own thing. The emotion that we think is, is a virtue is indifference. So the official definition of indifference is the lack of concern where there should be one. A lack of concern where there should be one. And we all fall into this trap, right? Isn't it so much easier? We kind of cover it up. Instead of trying to deal with a conflict or something, having an uncomfortable conversation, well, I better not interfere, you know, it's none of my business, you know. And hopefully he'll, like somebody else will tell him or he'll just learn through time, you know, once, once you know, he gets a heartbreak and or he, once this issue happens or he's in this financial situation, he'll learn then. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to, like, I don't want to, uh, I'll let him do his thing just out of respect. Out of my love for him, I'll do that. We all do that. We all do that. 
Let, let us jump right into a very controversial thing that Jesus said. Jesus said this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Let's be real. Does anybody do that? Nobody does that. Like, it, it, this seems like unrelated. We can't really relate to Jesus telling us to do this. If your brother or sin sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Come on. It, it's not practical. It's not realistic for me to apply that to my life. But, but, but I, I just threw out a, like a, a sentence in the middle of, of Jesus giving a huge spiel to his, to his followers. So let's take a step back and get the context of where Jesus is coming from for him to throw out this pretty controversial and sensitive sentence. Even for back then, that was like, man, people were like, man, I don't know if I want to do that. I, why would I point out someone else's fault? I don't want someone to do that to me. I wouldn't do that. So they're probably thinking this. So let's, let, let's, let's take a step back and understand where we are with Jesus telling his disciples. So let's, let's look at it from historical perspective. If we kind of rewind uh, of the middle of Jesus' speech, he said this. Or this is the, 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 the context, or this is the narrative written by St. Matthew, a first eyewitness of Jesus. He said this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So pause. So St. Matthew is, making, is being intentional about beginning this passage by saying, At that time. So right now, the disciples at the peak of their popularity. Okay, people are like, yeah, you guys are the rock stars. You guys are following Jesus, man. It's amazing. We saw him do this amazing miracle the other day. He gave us free lunch. So they're super popular at this point in time. So at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, come on, Jesus. Like, I mean, this is all cool, man. We're super popular. I was just like a lame fisherman before, but now I'm like, like everyone's going crazy. Everyone wants to know who I am. But who, come on. Like, I know all this is going to be temporal. And like you mentioned before, I heard you say something about we with you in he heaven. So about that, who's going to be greatest there? Come on, tell me, tell me who, like who, like what's going to be the order? Like who's going to have first dibs? Like who, who what, what's going to be the order of things in, in heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, I'm telling you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Like, I'm just picturing the disciples are like, come on, come on, tell us, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? Because like, Peter, yeah, he's a loud mouth, but I, I think he's going to be first. You think he's going to be first? And they're talking, they're trying to push Jesus to tell him who's going to be first, who's going to be second. And Jesus says, kid, come here, come here, come here, buddy. And they tell him, and he, and he, he sees a kid walking, and he tells him, come here. And Jesus says, unless you're like him, unless you change to be like him, this entire conversation is pointless. You're completely missing it. Jesus continues. If anyone causes like a kid like this, those who believe in me, to stumble, it will be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. <laughs> the conversation is like, yeah, who's going to be great as Jesus? And all of a sudden, Jesus pulls up a kid and just says, if you do anything to hurt a kid like this, man, it's better for you to drown in the bottom of the sea. It's better for you to have this huge weight around your neck and for you to just plummet to the bottom of the sea. Subs were like, whoa, this went south really quickly. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, listen, this world is tough, and bad things are inevitable. It's a tough world. It's a tough world. And there's things that are always going to happen that are going to be tough, that are out of everyone's control, that are inevitable, they're going to happen. 
But if you are the reason why someone else stumbles, man, that's a completely different story. Things in this world are out of everyone's control that will happen. But if you are the reason why someone else falls, that's a completely different story altogether. What's the world because of the things that, that, that cause people to stumble? Such things must come. Like, bad things happen. But woe to the person through whom they come. Shame on the person that you are the reason why somebody made this bad decision. You are the reason why this person fell. You're the reason why this person's marriage fell apart. You're the reason why this person made this poor financial decision. Shame on you if you are the reason for that. Jesus says this. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Look into the, look into the language, linguistics of what Jesus is saying. Throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell fire. Let me pause and say, call a timeout right here and say this. There are first century Christians, and if within the first three centuries, of Christians who took this literally. But Jesus never meant that. Jesus never meant that. Why do we know this? Because we look at the, at, at, the, at the meditation and sayings of our church fathers from what Jesus was saying and understanding the cultural context, understanding the language of Jesus saying, Jesus never meant it in a literal sense. Jesus never meant it in a literal sense for this. Jesus is saying, if there's something in your life that's, that's, that's putting you down, if there's a relationship, if there's a habit, if there's a whatever, or, 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 it's something that, that's pulling you down, it is better for you to, 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 to remove that relationship. It's better for you to remove that habit than for all of you to, to live a life of, of misery. It's better for you to remove that one thing than for that one thing pulling the, your entire life down. This is the point that Jesus is doing. And he's painting a picture and, and giving an analogy and, uh, to, to, to make this super clear to them. It's better for you to remove that one habit, this, this one mindset, that one relationship, than for that relationship to pull you down. It's better to remove that one thing than for that one thing to completely destroy your life. And we get that. Some of us would look back and say, man, I wish I could go back and just remove that one night, that one drink, that one girl, that one guy, that one group of friends, that one party. If I just, if I just never responded to that text, man, I would not be in the position I, I, I ended up being in. If I never respond, if I could just remove that, if I could just throw away that text, if I could just throw away that message, if I could just throw away that, then I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have led to all these other things. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. It's so much easier for you to ignore that text. It's so much easier for you not to respond than to get yourself into trouble. It's so much easier not to, not to just to ignore it. It's better for you to intentionally say no to that person or to that, to that thing than for that thing to control you and to consume you and to put you down. It's so much easier to remove that one thing. And we all get this. We all look back on our lives and say, man, if I never, I wish I never responded to that. I wish I never did. I wish I never went for that extra drink. I wish I never did. I, never, I, I never wish I went there. Because it's that one thing that ends up throwing our entire life away. We say, ah, well, you know, it's none of my business. You know, I want to give him respect and love. You know, but hopefully he'll learn himself. But then Jesus says, I just made it your business. I just made it your business. Like, you're wanting to say, well, I just had respect. You know, I'll let him do his thing. I do my thing. You know, he, do, he does what's best for him. I'll do what's best for me. Just saying, now I'm making it your business. You're trying to get away from it by saying, you know, out of my love for him. I don't want to, you know, step on any feet. <coughs> Jesus is saying, I just made it your business. Don't, okay, before, before I show this, don't shoot the messenger, okay? 
I don't want you to I don't want you to shoot the messenger. But before, yeah, actually, yeah, don't shoot the messenger. I'm going to share now some sayings of early Christians from the first few centuries of Christianity. And this is their meditation of this. Okay? This is what they had to say. If you fail to do so, so this is, this is uh, St. Augustine. He's from, he wrote this around the year 390. So if, you, if you're interested, St. Augustine, sorry, before you start reading. St. Augustine, <clears throat> he, he was a thug. He was a straight-up gangster that ended up becoming a follower of Christ. I'm not making that up. You can go look up his story himself, yourself. But his name is St. Augustine. He said this, that he wrote this in northern Africa around Algeria. And he said this around the year 390. If you fail to do so, if you fail to correct someone that you see is, is going, going the, uh, the wrong way, if you fail to do so, you are worse than he. He has done some, someone harm. And by doing harm, he has stricken himself with a grievous wound. He's saying, okay, if you see someone that does something harm, okay, they struck themselves with, with a bad financial decision, with a bad relationship decision, with a bad just life decision. Okay, they've struck themselves with a grievous wound. Will you then completely disregard your brother's wound? Will you just see him like bleeding to death? Oh, man, I don't want to interfere. I don't, I don't want to put a bandaid. I don't want to call the ambulance. You know, I, I, you know, it's none of my business. Will you simply watch him stumble and fall down? Will you disregard his predicament? If so, you are worse in your silence than he in his abuse. You are worse in your silence than he is in his abuse. I love that one line. You are worse in your silence than he is in his abuse. Let me also say another timeout. For parents, you will want to say, yeah, that's exactly why I told my kid that he needs to do this and he needs to do that, and I'm trying to correct him. I'm trying. No, okay, it, 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 there has to be wisdom. There has to be wisdom. It has to be, there has to be patience. There, I, I, I'm not just saying, okay, Father Nate, just give me permission that I can just speak whatever's on my heart, you know, because I, I need to get into their business and tell them that they need to do. I'm, I'm not saying that. Okay, everything needs to be dealt with, 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 with wisdom at the, at the right environment, at the right timing, through prayer to know how to confront conflict. But I'm saying for a lot of us, we try to avoid it altogether. He does his thing. I do my thing. Man, I, you know, I don't want to step on any toes. We use that as, as our reasoning for everything. But I'm also, I also want to mention, don't do the other extreme, okay? I just speak how it is. I'm just saying what's on my heart. N no, like, there, there has to be a middle ground with wisdom involved, okay? Next quote, this is from St. John Chrysostom. This is a bishop uh, who said this in modern-day Turkey around the exact same time of what St. Augustine said. So he read this same account written by the first eyewitness of St. Matthew, and he said this. This is what St. John Chrysostom says. Jesus, not say, Jesus does not say accuse him or punish him. Or take him to court. Jesus is not saying whoever did something wrong. He's not saying that you punish him and you send him to time out and you take him to court. I'm not, I, Jesus did not say that. He says, correct him. For the guy who did something wrong, he is possessed, as it were, by some stupor or drunk in his anger or disgrace. So I, I end up actually having to look up the word stupor. I didn't know. So that, that's where we get the fabulous word stupid. But that, so I'm, again, I, I'm just saying what St. John is saying. I'm not, I'm not saying it. He's saying, Jesus does not accuse him or punish him or take him to court. Jesus says, correct him. For the guy who did something wrong, for he is possessed. As it were, he, he's stupid. He's drunk. He, he's drunk with anger or disgrace. What do you think? He's not drunk like he got he, drunk with alcohol. He's saying, okay, he's off balance, okay? Like anger is getting the best of him, okay? He's, his, his emotions are pulling him. Lust is maybe throwing him off balance. Maybe anger is pulling him off balance. Maybe selfishness is pulling him off balance. Okay, he's stupid. You know, he's gay. He's off balance. You help him. Okay, but okay, okay. I said stupid in church, but I got permission from, from the blessing of St. John. So I'm, uh... <laughs> the one who is healthy must go to the one who is sick. 
The one who is healthy must go to the one who is sick. You must conduct your judgment of him privately. Make your cure easy to accept. Make your cure easy to accept. Make your conversation easy for that person to accept. Don't just throw out an email. Don't just throw out a text. Well, you need to break with him right away or you're going to regret. Make your cure easy to accept. For the words correct him mean nothing other than help him see his indiscretion. For the words correct him mean nothing other than help him see his discretion. Nobody, I, 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 some, uh, somebody gave me this advice, a priest gave me this advice when I started my ministry. Nobody can change nobody. Nobody can change nobody. But I can help him see his indiscretion. I can ask open-ended, uh, open-ended questions. Hey, wh- wh- where, do you think, like, where do you see this relationship going six months from now, a year from now? Tell me, tell me what are the things that you like about him? Tell me the things you don't like about him. Ask open-ended questions. Hey, what, what do you think about this? What are your financial goals? Like, tell me how, how this, 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 this purchase is helping you reach your financial goals. Or where do you see your career going? Ask open-ended questions. Help him see his indiscretion. For the words correct him mean nothing other than to help him see his indiscretion. I love, I love, I love these quotes. Going back to Jesus. If they still refuse to listen, like the person you're trying to help them, for them to just have clarity, for them to see their indiscretion. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay? Most people will take this verse and say, oh, so if somebody doesn't want to listen and they, we end up going to the church and they, and they don't even want to listen to the church, then we shun them out the door and say, shame on you, you heretic, you heathen, get out the doors of the church. This is how most people will take this, say this. Look, before I correct what, the, what Jesus is really saying, I want to say this. How can you correct me? How can you correct me? You cannot correct me if I do something wrong as, 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 as a spiritual father, as a pastor, as your friend, if I do something wrong, how can you correct me? You cannot correct me for the 15 minutes that we see each other on Sundays. You cannot correct me because the only t- we only have time to say, hey, how you doing? How's the weather? You watched a game yesterday. That's, that's, the, that's the length of our conversation. The only way you are able to correct me is if we have a deeper relationship. And let me put in a big plug why I'm extremely proud of many people in the church for this. We're we're wrapping up a series of groups. Why I'm such a big fan of groups. Groups is something in the church is where we get together. uh, You choose an evening, you choose where you want to meet, and you get together and you build deeper conversations. So we're just wrapping up a a, a series of life groups. So there's tons of people in the church that get together, they're getting together in someone's life group and they say, hey, you know, for six Tuesday evenings, I'm gonna get together, I'm gonna go to this person's house and we're just gonna have a real life conversation about some of the things that are controlling our hearts or kind of are are, are controlling us. And we're just gonna have an open real life conversation. It's not a Bible study. It's not someone telling you you need to do this, you need to do that. It's just a real life conversation. The only way you can correct me is if we have a deeper relationship together because you cannot just come up to me out of nowhere and say hey father what you did was was disgusting you can't do i'm like dude look we we, we just we talk for seven minutes every sunday like that where where is that coming from but if we have a deeper relationship 
then it's easier for you to confront me privately and to tell me what I need to work on. This is why I'm a huge fan of groups. We cannot grow as a church family if we just see each other just for, for 10, 20, 30, 45 uh, an, an hour on Sunday. We cannot grow. We can grow just very limited in a, in a row, but we have to grow in circles. For us to grow toward Christ, there has to be this part, the liturgical worship part, communal worship, but there also has to be real life conversations in circles. This is how we can edify each other. And then Jesus says, okay, if you are not able to correct each other, like if you're trying to correct somebody in your life group, okay, let's put it into 2019 terms. Jesus is saying, if someone's in your group that you're trying to correct, maybe you're trying to help them see something, okay, and they're not able to see it, okay, then bring it to the church. Bring it to, 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 to the fathers, to the bishops of the church, to, to, for, for, for us to have a conversation about it. If they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What is Jesus saying? Okay, if they're not even wanting to, to have a conversation with the church, okay, then you have to let them be. Then there is a clear understanding that their perception of ethics is different than God's de- perception of ethics. Like how they would define uh, ethics is different than the way the church would define ethics. So there is a clear understanding that we have two different roles. So I can't say, like if someone says, no, this is pink. I'm like, no, it's black. Okay, I, there, there's, there's, no fur, we, there's no further way we can go in the conversation. If the foundation it was done to understand that we both cannot agree, for us to move forward in the conversation. Out of my real respect, we have to understand that I, like, I, I continue to love you, but we, we cannot move forward in the conversation if, you, if we cannot even agree that the color is the same. So the framework of ethics is, is different. The, the framework of ethics. If someone comes and, you know, there, there's a marital thing and somebody says, no, I can sleep with whoever I want to any night of the week, anytime I want. Okay, well, I, I, that's, that, that's not the, the divine framework that God has established from, from, from the dawn of creation. That goes against the divine ethics that God created. That, that goes against what we know as far as the, 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 the framework or the foundation of divine marriage. Okay, if, if we cannot agree on that, then there, there's no place for us to move forward. So Jesus is not saying, no, we kick them out. If they don't listen to the church, then shame on you and, you know, don't ever come back. No, Jesus is not saying that whatsoever. Out of love and respect for them, then at that point, there's someone is not wanting to be receptive to life change within a life group. Okay, that's fine. Let's bring it up to the church. N- nowhere? Okay. We can continue to be friends, continue to come to church. We can consent to continue to be friends. But if they're not open to, to having a conversation, okay, then we have to respect and honor that person as is my question who needs to hear from you who needs to hear from you the flip side are you receptive to someone who might be wanting to tell you something no they don't get it man they're from a different generation they don't understand they wouldn't understand are you receptive if someone is trying to to, to bring life change to you or just open your eyes to see something, not correct you. Okay, St. John Chrysostom says, we cannot change anybody, but you just help them see. Are you open to change? Or am I like this? Tell me what I did wrong. And are you open to change? Here's the challenge. I don't have this in my notes, but this is a super challenge. Ask your spouse, for those who are married, what is something I can do to be better as a father? as a husband, as a wife. Don't ask it this way. <laughs> ask it honestly. And who needs to hear from you? Who are you trying to cover? Well, I don't want to, you know, because everything's been good right now in the, in the relationship. I don't want to, like, throw out that. It's going to bring a tension point, and he might, he might never want to talk to me again. Okay, with wisdom, through prayer, 
in the right environment, okay, let's have a healthy, open conversation. But remind yourself, you cannot change anybody. You cannot change anybody. But okay, I can ask open-ended questions to just plant a seed. I can just ask open-ended questions to plant a seed to move a conversation in a certain direction. That's it. That's it. That's all I can do. I plant the seed, and there's someone above me that will take care of the watering and the cropping and the, 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 the ripening. There's somebody else that will do all that, not me. Who needs to hear from you? Are you just covering them? I don't want to interview. It's none of my business. Well, your Savior says, it is your business. Something is always wanting to grab our heart. Something is always wanting to, to take control of us. And we know this. I don't, I, I'm sounding redundant because we get this from life. There's times where we're like, man, did I really say that? Did I really do that? Because we've been controlled by some emotion that's wanting to take control of us. And it's we don't realize until we take a step back, man, I completely did that out of anger. I completely did that out of selfishness. I completely did that out of lust. And it completely consumed me. And we don't see it until we're after. The best thing, your Savior knows that. His church knows that. What I want to share with you is an ancient prayer of the church. An ancient prayer that goes many centuries back of what the church says, of the church acknowledging that we're weak. We looked at a quote by St. John Chrysostom in the year 390. He didn't describe the church as an institution. He didn't describe the church as a, you know, a hotel ballroom. He described the church being a hospital. And the church throughout the centuries, this, this prayer is thousands, is, 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 is over, is, at least we know from documentation, is over 800 years old. This, for the latest we have. This is what the church says. If we, as your children, have committed any sin against you, if I have committed any sin against you, knowingly or unknowingly, or through anguish of heart, the church, the church prays this, saying, Lord, if, I, if, if we have committed, as your children, if we have committed any sin, intentionally or unintentionally, or through anguish of heart, the word anguish is something, or if my heart is, being, is, is heavy, is torn, or in pain. If I have committed anything, if we, as your children, have committed anything, knowingly or unknowingly, or just because our heart is just heavy and torn, whether indeed, either through an action or through a word, or from faint-heartedness. Now, the word for faint-heartedness is weak. If I've done anything wrong that separated myself from you because I'm just weak, or because my heart is heavy, or I've done something intentionally or unintentionally, or maybe through action, or even through word, O Master, who knows the weakness of men, as a good one, and lover of mankind. God grants us the forgiveness of our sins. The church is saying, okay, you heretics and heathen, may God forgive you and you forgive your sins. No, the church. You know who prays this? Another weakful person. Another sinful person. Another person who sins willingly and unwillingly or in anguish of heart, in deed and in word, and from being weak. Who prays this? Is yours truly. The church praises, the priest praises, because we are acknowledging that we're all weak in a hospital. But life change occurs when I first take the step of saying, yeah, yeah, there are things that are throwing me off inside. There is anger, there is lust. There is things that, 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 that's, 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 that's heavy inside of me, stuff I know knowingly, and stuff I know knowingly, 
that's throwing me off and throwing my relationships off. And I, I have to acknowledge that and come to the Savior with that. And when I do, this is when my heart can become blessed when I look back at the creator of my heart. But what I'd love for us to do now, we'll stand up in a prayer, but I want to pray this absolution. I want to pray this prayer that the church has been praying through the centuries. And I want us, I, I, I'll pray it, but during this time for us to look in, in ourselves, what is inside of us that, that is throwing us off from God? The stuff I know knowingly or unknowingly, or just because my heart is heavy, or just because my heart is weak. But for us to come to God and begin, and you start with him. Say, yeah, this is there. But you know what? The best part is the person who I'm trying to pursue overcame death, and he came to give me new life. And he's not wanting to hold on to anything in the past that's pulled me down. He's wanting to give me new life. And this is where I find freedom. This is where I find joy. This is where I find liberation. Is when I acknowledge and I embrace that he has come to give me new life. This is why this is called the eight. Because eight is a number that symbolizes new starts and new beginnings. Let's stand up for a prayer. O Master Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son and Logos of God the Father, who has broken every bond of our sins through his saving, life-giving sufferings, who breathed into the face of his saintly disciples and holy apostles and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, our Master, you have given grace through your holy apostles to those who for a time labor in the priesthood and your holy church to forgive sin upon the earth and to bind and to lose every bond of iniquity. Now also we ask and entreat your goodness, O lover of mankind, for your servants, for my brethren and my weakness, those who bow their heads before your holy glory. Dispense to us your mercy and lose every bond of our sins. If we have committed any sin against you knowingly or unknowingly, or through anguish of heart, whether in deed or in word, or from faint-heartedness. O Master, who knows the weakness of men as a good one and lover of mankind, God grant us the forgiveness of our sins. Bless us, purify us, absolve us, and all your people. Fill us with your fear and strain us unto your holy goodwill. For you are our God, and the glory, the honor, dominion, and the worship are due unto you, with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence with you, now and at all times, and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but the rest from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.